This is Misty Green, and you are listening to the iLead Podcast, a space to engage instructional leaders for excellence, action, and development, where we will reflect, explore, and move ideas into action. Moment of full transparency. About six months ago, following a traumatic experience that actually occurred on a public school campus, I began seeing a trauma therapist. I am not yet ready nor able to share the full nature of the experience. Let's just say the incident shook me to my core and required that I dig deep to determine after 25 years of service, was or is this field still for me? Or better yet, am I still for this field? The field I have found a purpose in and passion for the field of education. The work I've completed in therapy has catapulted me to truly search my why and to determine if my why is strong enough to anchor me or hold me steadfast in my love for this field. Let's just say the therapeutic work has been hard, but well worth it. I am still standing firm in my why or my belief that all students are salvageable because I was and that all students are deserving of an educator who believes in their full potential and chooses daily to transcend the opportunity myth and the less than positive labels that have been ascribed to the students who occupy the hallways of school campuses and the seats of classrooms. I could not allow the past traumatic incident to be the period or ending point to my time in this field because I know within myself that I I still have more to give. That brings us to the topic for this episode. This past week during my therapy session, after discussing where I currently am and reflecting on the work I am producing both within the system of public education and for iLead Consulting, and after reflecting on an interaction I had with an eighth grade student who, without knowing, helped me to recalibrate my love and passion for this work. My therapist, who is also former military, said to me, Misty, you are what we refer to in the military as a force multiplier. You are a force multiplier. I'm not certain if she knew the impact of her statement and what it really had on my current reality. She might not even know that through her statement, deeper personal and professional calibrations occurred. Her statement prompted me to recall an event or situation that occurred during my graduate studies surrounding the work of dispute resolution and conflict management. During my master's program, I had the opportunity to tour one of our state's largest prisons, Part of this tour uh, was having the chance to speak with death row inmates. The prison had established a large room with curtain-style partitions. Behind each makeshift cubicle, if you will, 
stood an inmate and one prison guard. I, along with peers in my cohort, stood waiting in line for our chance to chat with an inmate. I guess I was number eight or nine in the line. The purpose of this tour and possible conversation with, with an inmate was to strengthen our dispute resolution skills by sharing resolution skills with inmates. Now, in reflection, I'm not certain this exercise was truly fair to those we had the opportunity to speak with, but that's not um, the current topic of our episode, so I digress. While waiting in line, I noticed my peers were going in and out of the makeshift cubicles rather rapidly in, in time spans of, of like one to two minutes. As a cohort, we were instructed to hold our debriefs and reflections until we returned to campus. While watching my peers enter and exit the conversation spaces, I was struck with wonder. I was curious as to what they had accomplished in such a short amount of time. I mean, one to two minutes is barely enough time to greet someone and introduce yourself, let alone share in a, in a meaningful dialogue. It finally became my turn. As I pressed through the, the curtain, uh, the wall of curtain, I found myself standing in a small space, possibly a five foot by four foot area, where a male inmate stood with his hands cuffed in front of him and his feet shackled, and with a guard standing in very close proximity. I can recall a table was placed as the dividing line between the two of us. And a chair was placed on my side of the table, but I quickly noticed he had no chair. Within seconds, I realized I was the one with choices, and he was without. My next step would be the determining factor of how far this conversation would or would not go. My, my first words were a question to the guard. I asked does he have the option to sit, referring to the inmate? The guard kind of smirked and sort of popped his head and said, no, with, with a curious look. I then looked the person who I hoped to have a conversation with in the eye and asked, would you like for me to sit or to stand? What would make you the most comfortable? See, I offered him a choice. And I hoped my inquiry of his preference would let him know I was grateful for the opportunity to learn from him. He and I both knew before I ever stepped foot into his space, he was in control of this particular conversation. He was the one who controlled how far our conversation would or would not go. I spent close to 15 minutes with him. I learned of his childhood. He was a straight-A student raised by a single mom who had quite a few boyfriends, none of whom he really clicked with. He had an older sister and a younger brother who he hadn't seen in a while, and he had a young son. And his greatest hope was that his son did not follow in his footsteps. I shared with him I left home at 14 and even shared some truths about that period of my life, stories that many do not know. I wanted him to know 
though our current paths and realities were extremely different, we in fact shared some strange commonalities. I learned a long time ago there is comfort in commonality. At the end of our conversation, I thanked him for, for teaching me, and I recall the look of confusion he displayed. It was at that moment I shared with him that at that time in my life, I was a single mom of three, and that on that day, he had helped me to be a better mom. Some might say, Misty, you didn't follow the script. You didn't pass on tools of dispute resolution. Well, in reflection, I think the human script is more important than any rubric. I believe in order to teach, we must first be willing to model. So for me, I modeled the most critical of resolution skills, authentic communication. I remember leaving the prison and feeling successful, feeling like I had connected with another human. Simultaneously, I felt immensely sad, heartbroken, really. He was 23. You might be thinking, Misty, thanks for sharing this part of your journey or that part of your journey, but how is that related to education or the therapeutic experiences you're currently having and the statement, Misty, you are a force multiplier. Stay with me. I'm taking you there to the connection. <laughs> Following the prison tour, we arrived um, back to campus to debrief about our learnings and, and the conversations we shared with the death row inmates. I sat quietly listening to others, and I myself was still in a state of deep reflection. One of my peers said, Misty, you haven't shared yet, and you're with your inmate for quite a while. What did y'all talk about? Did you stay? Why, why did you stay with him so long? Me being me, I responded, we've talked about the fact that he wasn't my inmate. To this day, my response to her question makes me chuckle. I hope after a decade, she has become a more evolved human. I wanted him to know he was offering me a unique experience and that he too was deserving of something unique. He was deserving of an authentic, reciprocal conversation, not just an interview or a lesson. Following that particular class, another peer came my way. Her name was Tina. She was kind and smart. She was all around a good human. Her words have lived with me for over a decade. She said, Misty, in my culture, we would refer to you as the nail that sticks up. You have the ability to make a difference in this world, no matter what. Keep sticking up. As quickly and as softly as she had said these, these words to me, she headed out the door. And there it is, friends. There is the connection between Misty, you are a force multiplier, and Misty, you are the nail that sticks up. Let's connect these statements to the work. We'll start with what is a force multiplier? The U.S. Department of Defense defines a force multiplier as capability that when added to and employed by a combat force significantly increases the combat potential of that force. 
and thus enhances the probability of successful mission accomplishment. Hmm. What is meant by the nail that sticks up? The full proverb is actually the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. Japansociology.com asserts that this proverb means many people have difficulty embracing a person who stands up for something or who is willing to speak out against the status quo. A person who sticks out can and often will be ostracized or even punished by others. This proverb elicits fear in many. The fear associated with sticking out or sticking up will lead to being hammered down. Therapy has offered me a safe space to embrace exactly who I am. I am the nail that sticks up and I am a force multiplier. The day that I no longer possess these characteristics will be the day that I should turn in my district name badge and exit stage left. As an instructional leader, there is a level of accountability I, we hold. At times, the weight of the accountability may feel overwhelming. We are not simply accountable to self. We are accountable to all who look to us and depend on us to pave the way of opportunity for students, to courageously foster change when necessary on school campuses, to remain cognizant no matter the seat you occupy or the title we hold of classroom and campus reality, to serve as an advocate for marginalized communities, to embrace challenges with a spirit of resilience while remaining anchored to one collective goal, doing what is best for students, all students. There is no space for calculating the risk when it comes to doing what is best for students. The fear of being ostracized when advocating for systematic change through inquiry and requiring context be provided must be dismissed from your thought process. Instructional leaders must become reflective. If your campus is failing, if your district is in need of triage, you have a responsibility to be part of the solution. If you are unable or unwilling to be part of the solution, exit stage left. I embrace that I am a, a force multiplier. I seek regularly to increase my own instructional toolkit, not for self, but to continue building the capacity of every educator who I come in contact with, because I know in doing so, students benefit, and that is the goal. I challenge you as an instructional leader, increase your instructional capacities, both in content expertise and in pedagogy. 
model what you expect. If you can't model your expectations, you cannot inspect what you expect. Meaning, how can you observe or appraise what you cannot do? How can you develop or build others up if you do not possess the very capacities and skills you so righteously mandate from others? Strive in all you do to be a force multiplier by increasing your own credibility first. And to campus staff, if you see there's an area of opportunity within your instructional leader or your instructional leadership team, be reflective about how you would like to message your concern, remembering you do not know it all. No one does. But again, one collective goal, to do what is best for students, all students. Be a solution maker, a bridge builder. Create resources to build the capacity of others. Those are the steps you take to become a leader on your campus. Is your mission to help or to hurt? I challenge you to be a force multiplier. As my therapist shared with me, Misty, your very presence in a room increases the status quo. She said, Misty, you look mediocrity in the face and say, not on my watch. And she challenged me to embrace that when I walk into a room, productivity is enhanced and capacity is built, not because of compliance, but because of support, development, and inspiration. By sharing my own truth as a high school dropout who has a comeback kid story. In closing, I ask you to reflect in this field, the field of education, are you willing to be the nail that sticks up for doing what is best for students? And are you a force multiplier? Let's embrace those two questions and allow them to guide our every effort. Our collective efforts will in fact make a difference. To all who are listening, if you are serving in the field of education in any capacity, take care of yourself. Let's normalize and destigmatize therapy. Therapy is a safe space for you to share and process through difficult conversations and realities. I challenge you to find your safe space. Everyone needs someone who they can talk with confidentially in a judgment-free zone. Until next time, keep striving to move the needle of student achievement and success toward excellence. I charge you to be a force multiplier and be courageous enough to be the nail that sticks up. Thanks for listening to the iLead podcast with your host, Misty Green. You can connect with me on Twitter at Misty Green iLead. 
To access available resources, visit www.ileadconsulting.net. Until next time, let's keep moving the needle toward excellence.